Welcome to another episode of Electable, sponsored by Indiana Women's Action Movement. I'm Deb Chubb, and um, I'm going to try to refrain from being a total fangirl, um, but I'm here with the illustrious uh, Sheila Kennedy, um, who has a long, wonderful career in politics and writing and teaching and, uh, and lawyering. And, um, and so Sheila, welcome. And I hope you can give us a little bit of background. You've done so many things and I don't even know what's best to mention about you. But so give us a little background about your career. Okay, well, what you called my career, my mother called my itinerary. Uh, you know, I've had about five careers. Uh, I still don't know what I wanna do when I grow up. Uh, no, I, I began, uh, professional life as a high school English teacher and uh, went to law school, uh, would, joined a law firm. I was, the, I was the first woman hired at what was then Baker and Daniels here in Indianapolis uh, at a time when women weren't uh, noticeably uh, present in the profession and uh, ran for Congress as a Republican because we at the time had two sane political parties. Uh, we no longer do that. And so in 2000, uh, I came out as a Democrat and one of my friends thought maybe I was coming out as a lesbian, but I wasn't. But <laughs> my kids thought that was pretty funny. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, I had a stint as a, as a real estate developer. Uh, and uh, went to uh, six years. Uh, I spent six years at the Indiana ACLU as the executive director. Uh, I still remember Nuvo's headline, uh, ICLU, which was at that time, we called it the Indiana Civil Liberties Union, taken over by card-carrying Republican. It was terrifying, you know, <laughs> anyway. And then I... Uh, after six years there, I joined the faculty at uh, the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and spent the last 22 years teaching law and public policy, media and public policy, uh, and a variety of other uh, courses that they were very good to me at IUPUI. They let me make shit up. <laughs> and so I taught a course in sex and public policy, which a lot of people uh, enrolled before they realized it was really gender, and <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't nearly as exciting as as they may have thought. So, and now, now uh, as of the end of December, I'm retired and uh, have no idea what I'm going to do with myself. Well, but, and you've also written many awesome books about politics and um, and do a daily blog about yeah. politics, and uh, which is really wonderful. I enjoyed, and I know you have a, a large following um, just reading your it's blog. It's wonderful it's that people read it. It is really my way of venting. You know, I would probably explode if I couldn't have the blog and say, for Christ, what's going on? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> you know? But uh, at any rate, uh, yeah, I've written 10 books. And uh, who knows, there might be another one in me, but I don't think so. I'm not sure. So that's, that's all of it. Well, it's all of it, except my husband and I have five kids between us. Uh, and uh, 
they're really the best thing going. The really best thing going is grandchildren, but I won't take time to tell you all about that. Yeah, I've heard I've heard they're much better than children. Oh, yeah. My husband <laughs> says grandkids are your reward for not killing your children. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so today, though, what we're going to talk about is misinformation in politics in the media, which is really a specialty of yours. And um, we all know historically that misinformation in politics has been around forever uh, since the very first uh, campaigns. And we also know, uh, legally speaking, that uh, you know defamation of public figures is not the same as defamation of your neighbor. So that is to say, you can say things that are defamatory, uh, un unkind um, about public officials um, with much, uh, much less scrutiny um, as to the damage that you might cause uh, compared to someone who's you know, a private person. And so that I think supports in, in some ways the historical kind of misinformation that's gone on in politics, you know, just, you know, attack ads, et cetera. Um, you know, I know I worked with these 29 outstanding women candidates last year and towards the end of the campaign, you know, the postcards went out with a big X across her face saying, you know, baby killer, you oh. know? So, um, you know, and you can get away with that in politics, but now things have changed, haven't they? Um, we're in a whole new realm of misinformation. So. Um, tell us first your take on it as, as in, in terms of how it's changed um, over the just the last several years. Well, I actually think that we've got two separate issues going on here and they have, <laughs> there's a confluence that's very unfortunate. You've got, as you point out, the usual amount of misinformation, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson will burn your Bibles. Did you know me? Uh, you know, I mean, and, and we have a lot of concern, I have a lot of concern about the fact that those kinds of defamatory statements, or at least unreal, un, unfair statements, uh, lies, we call them, uh, get much more currency thanks to the internet and social media and all of that. So we've got that going on. The ability to disseminate misinformation at a much higher level. That, and and the ability to, to disseminate incorrect information too. So it's you know it's it's a, a balancing act, but at the same time, it, it I hate to sound like like I'm overreacting here, but at the same time we have a growing percentage of Americans who, if you will excuse my expression, are batshit crazy. I mean, we, there was a recent poll or survey, uh, an accurate academic, you know, because you can poll anything, but that found that 14% of Americans believe that the United States is being controlled by Satan-worshipping pedophiles. Uh, they also believe that Trump won the election. I'd love to have a discussion and say, okay, you had a ballot here Trump was at the top and uh, Senator A was at the bottom. Senator A won and Trump lost. How how was that manipulated? You know, I mean, these are not these are not rational kinds of things. Uh, th this whole QAnon business, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has let's see, 
The California fires were uh, started by Jewish space lasers. I missed them and I'm Jewish too. Uh, you know, I just, uh, and, and wearing a mask, of course, is tantamount to the Holocaust. I, it is so beyond what any of us would have thought even five years ago would gain any purchase. And the reason it has gained purchase and there are there's a whole compendium of reasons, but as the two parties have uh, polarized, and you know, as an aside, let me tell you that when I was much much younger, maybe your age, uh, I I remember thinking, why can't the parties be more dis, uh, distinguishable philosophically? Why don't you know? I'm, well, they are now, and <laughs> you know, be careful what you wish for. I think is it. I mean, so far from being big tents, we have, uh, you know, as as traditional religion has sort of ebbed, which is not, in my view, a bad thing because a lot of craziness ebbed with it. But people who need that security of a worldview that explains everything to them have moved to the edges of the political structure. And so you've got crazy right-wingers and you, we've got some crazy left-wingers. The, the difference right now, I think, is that the Republican party has, really resembles a cult today. And I say that as someone who was for 35 years, an active Republican. You know, I was corporation counsel in a Republican administration here in Indianapolis. Uh, I worked, I, I ran for Congress as a Republican in 1980. And by the way, I was pro-choice and pro-gay rights. Uh, and I won a Republican primary, which gives you an idea of how far that party has moved into the whatever it is they've moved into. But you've got the Republicans who are pretty monolithic. And, and I hate to be nasty about this, but I think it's accurate. They've become the party of white nationalism. Uh, the Democrats have had to be more uh, understanding of nuance and complexity simply because Democrats still are a really broad tent. And while Democrats have their own crazies, uh, they've also got a lot of other constituencies that have to be dealt with. So most Democrats are still like living in the real world while the Republicans are uh, worried about space lasers and um, the big lie and, and whatever. I Well, and I, we know this is happening for, for some specific reasons, you know, and that is of course the internet, which creates these echo chambers. So as you, you know, click on a news source uh, that is, you know, uh, kind of a right-wing news source, um, you will receive more of that sort of information. The so algorithm, the algorithms yeah. keep feeding you um, yeah. your preferred uh, bias. And so, so we exactly know that, right. yeah, so we know that's one of the big reasons. Um, and we know too that um, one of the big reasons is because you know the former president of the United States could stand up and just tell bald-faced lies um, as if he were you know reciting the weather. Um, it was un, you know it was unbelievable that you, to listen to just 
lies coming, you know, he knows he's lying. He knows you know he's lying. You know, and he's still lying. I, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. Go ahead. I'm not sure that Donald Trump knows the difference between a truth and a lie. I mean, I think he is such a mentally deranged person that I think at any given time, he believes what he's saying, which is even scarier if you start to think about it. Yeah. But, but as I read in something recently, uh, Trump didn't introduce all this. Trump was the result of a, a lengthier period of time when we were spiraling out of control. When yeah, I, many of the things that uh, have led up to this time have all come together in sort of a stew. I mean, we've yeah, it's there are there are books written there are i've written about it i mean there are a number of reasons why so many of our fellow americans are terrified uh they are characterized by grievance mostly re racial uh, there you know you can trace this but the problem is today unlike times past, the people who have these grievances and who wish to believe in, I don't know, uh, Satan worshiping pedophiles in the White House or something, uh, can go online and occupy these little bubbles of misinformation. And thanks to the algorithms that you've referenced and thanks to uh, these boards that uh, the crazy right wing has established, they can live in an environment that only supports what most of us from a distance would say is insanity. Yeah, it is hard to believe that, you know, even as you say, you know, there's the um, echo chambers and bubbles, and it's hard to believe, you know, when you say it like these crazy things, I mean, you're not making this up. I mean, this really oh, no. is the stuff, you know, the satanistic um, pedophiles, uh, you know, that dominate the Democratic Party. You know, people, it's hard to believe that people would believe that under any circumstance. But, but remember the guy who went to the pizza right. parlor in D.C. to save those children in the basement that turned out they're not to be a basement in that, in that particular pizza parlor and he was going to save. I mean, he clearly believed it right now. Is he delusional? Yeah. But where did that delusion come from and how was it supported? I think one of the biggest problems we have, and as I said earlier to you, I got lots of problems. I got no solutions, but Fox news, you know, and, and it's, it's pretenders. I, you have a national network that is feeding a certain worldview and ignoring fact. And if you, my husband and I were on a, a cruise five or six years ago, and we were in the lounge and this couple is saying, oh, well, the only, the only people we trust are the ones on Fox News. And I'm going, you know, I mean, but... I, I don't know how you break through that kind of devotion 
to a source that is telling you things you want to believe. You know, it's- Yeah, you've hit right on it. That is the, that is the penultimate uh, question. (laughs) How do you, how do you break that love affair? Um, That, that unbreakable loyalty. Um, I don't know how it began um, and how it was established, you know, so strongly. Um, but we have got to find a way to find some reality that we can all agree on. Um, you mentioned earlier said, about the newspapers, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, when we used to look at newspapers, you know, we all opened up the same newspaper and yeah. we all looked at the same facts. Um, and now we don't, we don't look at the same facts and how can we, uh, and you used a great example, like, um, you know, like a baseball game. So, I mean, are we at a point now where I can say the Cubbies lost yesterday? And someone else will say, no, no, they won. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, if you no longer are arguing about the same facts, well, you're a lawyer, you know, when we go to court and two sides stipulate, this is what happened, we can still argue about, <coughs> excuse me, the consequences or the meaning. Okay. We all, we all know those two cars collided, but I think it was his fault and she, th- you know, th- those kinds of, we, okay, we went to war in Iraq. Uh, those are the facts. And then we can draw different conclusions from those facts. We can use those facts to, to buttress really very different positions. But when you don't even start with the facts, when you say we were at war in Iraq and you say, oh, no, we weren't, there's nowhere to go. And, well, and you, you lead to a really great um, uh, point, a thing that's happening now with the, um, you know, with, uh, in education. I sit on a school board. And so, um, so I, you know, pay attention to a lot of this. And um, you'll know, I'm sure, that in Hamilton County, um, you know, and in many other places, and it turns out in many other states, um, there is a movement to squelch any discussion of um, America's history with slavery and the the impact of those 400 years on the lives of African-Americans today. Um, uh, You know, when it happened here in Indiana, I, of course, you know, poked around to see who was leading this movement and found that it was an out-of-state organization um, that was developing this movement here. And it all makes sense because now it's the exact same movement happening in many other states and in many other places in Indiana. Um, So um, I, of course, proud to say that in Hamilton County uh, at Clay High School, uh, it didn't work. Um, Parents showed up and said, no, you know, we're not doing that. We're not playing politics with history. But as you say, you know, there's now this movement to really, really create different facts. Yes. And, and at that part, I mean, when, when we talk about education, that's not new. I don't know about you, but the first time I ever heard of the Tulsa race riots or, or that, that massacre was two years ago. And I took a lot of history courses. If there was ever a mention, let alone a discussion of the Trail of Tears, I never heard it. Maybe I was absent that day. Yeah. I mean, our, our teaching of history has not been honest. Well, look at, you know, uh, former governor, now president of a university, Mitch Daniels, who went on a rampage against a book by Howard Zinn, 
which uncovered some of those unfortunate parts of our history. You know, it, what, what's the old saying? If you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. I think right now we're at a time in society where there is an enormous, we're finally coming to terms with, with racism, I think. Uh, whether coming to terms will get us anywhere, we'll see. But we've got a lot of unexplored territory in, in our history and a lot of uh, rejected history. And there are, unfortunately, a lot of Americans who are absolutely adamantly opposed to confronting it. And it does get back to misinformation and uh, what they like to call confirmation bias. Well, America is the greatest country in the world, and I'm going to have a curriculum that uh, confirms that for my kids. Uh, I'm, I was writing a blog the other day, and I remembered there's a book that I really recommend. It's, it's older now, although she's updated it. It's called The Way We Never Were. American Families and the Nostalgia Trap. And you see this with the Southern Lost Cause. They're nostalgic for a, uh, a history that never existed. And, you know, it, when you are distorting reality, it, it, it makes you unable to deal with the future. It, it's really, we are at an inflection point in this country and it scares me because first of all, the number of people who are, as I not very nicely put it, batshit crazy, uh, and a number of others who are not altogether sure uh, is, is a really uh, concerning number. And when you can, take these, we can laugh at, at some of these things. I mean, I noticed that Marjorie Taylor Greene today demanded that Biden give her an answer to a question um, about the virus by June 31st. And as <laughs> we know, and she clearly doesn't, June only has 30 days. You know, I mean, there are some things that you really, you know, you can't say are a matter of opinion. But it is different. I have no idea how you talk to someone who thinks the country is being controlled by satanic pedophiles. I mean, it's like walking into an asylum. But yeah. clearly, you know, we have to do something. And the only thing I know to do is work our fannies off to make sure that more people like that don't get into public office. Because I, I don't know how you reach them otherwise. Right. I mean, and that's the conclusion I came to, too. And that is that we just need to elect better representatives. Um, you know, part of how about just sane ones. Yeah, just yeah, just sane would be great. Right. So, yeah. And, and part of, you know, part of the representation we have, particularly in Indiana, I mean, oh. at the state house is just it, it's just so. I, it's it's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable the stuff that comes out and the stuff that these legislators, you know, believe. And you know, I've done lobbying for a long time. I'm sure you have too. And you, you know, when you go down there and try to talk about a kind of a complex issue, and legislators just look at you and like, you know, they have no idea what you're talking about. And 
it, it's shocking. It is just shocking. Or if you're a woman, isn't that cute? You know, I mean, I maybe maybe now that's a little different. But when I first went into the law and I would go to court or I would go to the legislature for something, it was sort of this patronizing. Oh, isn't that cute? She's a lawyer. Wow. I I will restrain myself from saying what comes to mind. But but part of that and this gets back to something that I think very few people want to confront. It's systemic. The reason we have all those crazy legislators, and we do, is because we are so dramatically gerrymandered. And the gerrymandering in Indiana is all to uh, privilege rural areas of the state and disadvantage urban areas. And until we can get rid of that, and I have, and thanks to uh, Senator Manchin, that doesn't look imminent, uh, you know, it, we're going to continue to get people in the legislature who represent some of the uh, least well-educated, uh, sparsely populated and backward parts of the state, which also need representation, don't get me wrong but so do urban areas and the gerrymandering. I suddenly realized at a meeting not long, not long ago, Julia Vaughn was talking for common cause. And I realized that the way in which our legislature has been gerrymandered takes pieces of urban areas like Indianapolis and marries them to larger rural areas so that the people that we elect, very few of them, I think we've got two uh, state reps who represent only urban parts of Indianapolis. And those, those legislators are responsive to people who think nothing of, uh, you know, dis disregarding and dismissing urban concerns. It, it's frustrating. And it's all, it's, it is systemic until we can do something about the way in which these systems work, we're gonna to continue to elect people who at best don't give a shit and at worst are crazy. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and I'll, I'll try to put it in the bucket of un, uneducated, um, you know, if I can, if that, you know, just to give myself a little bit of hope. <laughs> but um, but I will tell you, I've, I've spoken to uh, state legislators who have uh, insisted that they are uh, strict constitutionalists oh, yeah. uh, and in the very same breath, um, you know, declare that um, our country was founded on Christian um, principles yeah. and that uh, we are a Christian uh, Christian government. Right. And, yeah. you know, just in the in the very same breath and you don't even have a moment to say, wait. <laughs> so yeah. um, so, you know, and, and he's not an attorney. He doesn't, you know, but he, somebody has you know, given him this misinformation uh, that's out there. And I think that's a very, you know, uh, a very um, dangerous set of misinformation. And in fact, I think you just had a blog on that issue about um, separation of church and state, which I thought was just lovely. Um, very, very nice. A really, you know, really reciting the rights of people who have, who are religious uh, of any sort or not religious to have the same access to civic conversation uh, as everybody else. Um, and the same rights in government uh, as everybody else. You know, one of the one of the things about America 
<laughs> we ought to be teaching more in history class that really did make a huge difference was we were the first legal system to base rights on individual behavior rather than who you were. You know, uh, in, in Europe at the time, if you were a member of the aristocracy, you got more rights than, you know, it, what, in the United States, your rights are supposed to be based upon your conduct, not your identity, not your sexual orientation, not your religion, not, and that was an incredible breakthrough and that, that's the kind of thing that we ought to be celebrating and ought to point, be able to point to and say, okay, we haven't really lived up to this, but it's a great principle. Yeah, anyway. It is a great principle. And we just need to keep saying it. I think we need yeah. to keep getting it out there. So, okay. So let's see if we can think about some sorts of solutions toward, uh, toward addressing the misinformation in the media. What do you got? Well, I got lots of questions. No, I, I do think, I think that there are a lot of people working on this. I'm sure that you're aware uh, there are a couple of national organizations that are putting out uh, ways to understand, to create media literacy. And there's, there's a media literacy chart that shows the biases of various uh, national publications, that sort of thing. Uh, we desperately need to reinvigorate local uh, local journalism, and I don't I don't know how. The, I mean, the the internet broke the business plans of local newspapers, and right now there's a huge scramble to figure out how to reinvigorate local journalism. But with respect to the uh, the dissemination of really uh, harmful misinformation. I've noticed, for example, one of the local TV stations uh, now offers to verify. You know, if you're getting something online on social media and you're not sure whether it's true, send it to us and we'll look into it and we'll show you our sources and that sort of thing. That's helpful for two reasons. One, because it does sort of raise uh, the issue of, you know, everything you hear, it may not always be true. <laughs> so even if they don't send you something to verify, you think, oh, maybe that. And then of course, we've got all of those, we've got Snopes and Fact Check. And, and I think there will be more sites like that. Um, at one time, I thought maybe what we need, because as you know, thanks to the First Amendment, government can't do this. But maybe what we need is like a good housekeeping seal of approval. Maybe uh, organizations like uh, the uh, there's there are statewide organizations and national ones uh, for journalists. Maybe you come together and you put together uh, a seal that you give to to uh, media sources that are not not that this is true and that's not true because there will always be mistakes and there will always be points of view. But okay, is this particular media source one that is adhering to uh, ethical standards? Are they requiring uh, confirmation before they go uh, public with something? Are, you know, is the way in which they approach the uh, assessment of information 
professionally competent and, you know, those sorts of things. And you say, yes, by and large, this is a media source that is going about it in the right way. Now, does that mean that this particular story is true? No. But at least as as those of us who are scrolling down our Facebook uh, feeds, if you see a story and it's got the little seal of approval, maybe, you know, the problem with that and the reason that I gave up <laughs> is because you have to care. You know, the person who's looking at that has to say, I'm concerned about getting misinformation and I want to check it out. I know our daughter will frequently, she's got a lot more energy, I think, these days than I do. She will frequently respond to something she's seen on Facebook by saying, here's what Snopes says about that, you know. And then, of course, half the time you get a a response from the original poster that says, oh, well, they're just liberals. (laughs) I mean, you know. Evidently, reality is a liberal construct. I don't know. but <laughs> Well, let's try this application. So we have consumer protection laws, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it protects people, um, you know, who, who consume items, who buy items um, from being scammed. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there are laws that, um, that say that if you're going to advertise a product, then you can't lie. It has to be, if you're going to make a claim about it, it has to be true and you have to be able to back it up. Um, so what if we applied that sort of, you know, kind of commercial uh, standard to other speech, to political speech? You have to understand I'm a free speech free, but I think there's a, there's a real problem. First of all, even in the commercial arena, there's a lot of room for what the courts call puffery. You know, right. uh, you know, my my mousetrap is the best mousetrap. Is that a lie? Well, probably it's not true. But is that actionable? No. Uh, I always had students who say, why can't we make lying not, you know, a crime? Yeah. Well, first you got it goes back to my my observation of Trump. Does he even know he's lying? You know, if I passionately say that color is red and everybody else sees green, uh, is that a lie or, you know, so it, it it's the, it's not even a slippery slope. It's a grease. Right. Anyway. It but, is, well, and of course there's the damages issues, uh, you oh, know, how yeah. to establish damages, you know. Yeah. However, <laughs> we do have defamation laws and I was really uh, very pleased to notice that Dominion, the, uh, company that manufactures uh, the voting machines that were so defamed by uh, the pillow folks and whatever, uh, that they're suing for defamation. That's probably, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be an answer, I guess is my, I think there's going to be a lot of little answers. You're going to have well-meaning people who give it who care, like the TV station that's going to, you know, uh, verify, you've got the sites like fact check, and you're going to have some people who say, hey, you know, you say that about me, and you're not able to, to uh, prove it, I'm taking you to court. I mean, I think what we need is, is to reinstitute, if we ever had it, a culture that says, 
hey, this far and no farther. It's one thing to say that that candidate is pro-choice and therefore I think she's a baby killer. Okay, I think that's, well, you know what I think. <laughs> but but that, that kind of discourse, while it's not ideal for a civil society, is pretty transparent. You know, you're calling me that because you disagree with me. Okay, I understand that. It's, it's the more subtle kinds. I mean, most of us also know there are not space lasers, but, but you know, the, the, uh, the use of disinformation, uh, there's a caravan coming from middle America, uh, from uh, South America, uh, and it, they're going to rape all your children or whatever. And those kinds of things are pernicious. Yeah. And the, that is the nature of the disinformation that we have to be able to control and rebut. And I think it's going to take a whole raft of mechanisms and the creation of a culture that says, you know, before you make this assertion, show me your evidence. We are not, we are not a country right now that thinks very highly of evidence. I mean, one of my one of my biggest concerns is that public policy, which I taught for 22 years, just ignore is not being made on the basis of evidence. You know, uh, the argument about minimum wage is a great example. It sounds perfectly reasonable to say, well, if you raise the minimum wage, people will have less money to hire people, and so it'll depress jobs. Well, it turns out. That that's only true if everything else true. stays the same, but everything else doesn't take stay the same, and so and now so we have the evidence. Evidence. There's a feedback There's a loop, I think. I'm not sure what yeah. that is. Yeah, I don't know, but we now have evidence that that doesn't happen. So have we changed our mind about it? It's ideology trumps no no pun intended, trumps evidence, and that's a particularly pernicious form of misinformation. Right. I, and I do want to add, I think here's another um, development that I think is important. And that is that um, at least I think Facebook, one of the, you know, one of the platforms mm -hmm. um, has said, we're no longer going to give um, more leeway to public figures yeah. in the kind of, uh, you know, speech um, that they put out there. Um, and they're going to hold them to the same standards as regular people. So you can't put up the stuff that, you know, sounds violent or hateful or untrue um, and, uh, you know, spreads malicious lies. So, um, so I think that's an important development. And let's, you know, let's hope that, that that continues and moves forward. Yes. All right. I think we are running out of time and, and it's a stormy day. So I'm not sure. I'm like wondering if our internet is going to fail us. So, um, so I, I will have to wrap up, but I, you know, I just so... Thank you so much for doing this. Um, it wonderful chatting with you. I hope we get to do it again. But before we go, I always like to ask, um, you know, words of wisdom that you can leave with us. Oh. Uh, you have been around for a long time, you know, know so much and um, you've got so much to offer. So please uh, give us some great words of wisdom before we go. Oh, if I had wisdom, I, just, uh, I don't know. Don't beat your children. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, just, I think, participate. 
participate. If, if, if all Americans participated in the democratic process, I, I still believe that most Americans are sane and most Americans are thoughtful. And if, we, if you get out the vote, those people will prevail. So it is incredibly important to participate. I just was reading uh, about, uh, oh boy, now I'm blanking, uh, Hannah Arendt, uh, who wrote a very profound book on totalitarianism. And she felt strongly that if, if polities, if all members of the polity participate, you could avert the coming of totalitarianism. Uh, who knows? <laughs> it's possible. I, I like to remind people um, that um, uh, Joe Biden uh, lost the state of Indiana by 400 and some thousand votes and 1.6 million people who were registered um, did not uh, vote. So less than a third of the people who didn't vote um, was the difference between uh, Joe Biden winning the state of Indiana. So, all right. So anyway, thank you so much. You're so awesome. And um, I hope that you will consider doing this again so we can sure. carry on this conversation. I'll have just as many answers, which is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Until next time. Take care.